remain standing and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3. If you are visiting with us, um, maybe aren't familiar with the Bible, we've printed that for you on page 9 of your worship guide. This is God's Word, Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 5, reading through verse 17. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord Jesus, you're resurrected and reigning. You have all power and authority in heaven and on earth. And when you speak, amazing things happen. Out of nothing, you created all things by the power of your word. When you call out, dead people come to spiritual life again. And when your word enters in, it drives out sin and makes us more like you. And so we pray, by your word, our great prophet, exert your power in our lives. We need to be changed. We don't need to, to remain any more the way we are. So would you please change us by your spirit working through your word. We pray this, our Savior, in your name. Amen. We, uh, some of you will remember the 1999 movie, The Matrix, sort of this epic movie. Um, and the, you know, the kind of the plot line was there was you know, one guy who didn't quite know he was the he was neo literally mean new he was the new guy and he had to kind of figure out his new identity and there was a litmus test that his his leader in the movie uh, gave him and it went like this uh, asked him this penetrating question don't you get don't you get that feeling that things are not the way they're supposed to be that nagging feeling that there might be something better it resonates with us like, if that was the litmus test that he was the one, that, that there's a dissatisfaction in the way we are, that's all of us, right? It's not the litmus test for the esteemed and exalted hero of the story. It is the litmus test for, for real spiritual health, 
Are you dissatisfied? Don't you get a sense, a groaning dissatisfaction with who you are? Do you get a sense, I don't want to be this way anymore, that that nagging feeling that there has to be something better gets turned should get turned outward on the world like a dissatisfaction. The world's broken and it needs to be better. And so we exert ourselves on the world trying to make it a better place. But for those who are in Christ, it doesn't just get turned outward, it gets turned inward. I need to, I need to be better. I need to be different than I am. I need to be a different person. That that creates some dissonance, some tension in the Christian life. You look outward, you look inward, and this is what happens. I need to be somebody different, but I can't get there. It's like, it's like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and someone telling you that on the other side, something glorious that you can possess if you could just jump over. You're like, I'd love to. I just don't have the ability to in myself. You can probably resonate then with the Apostle Paul who said this, I don't understand my own actions. It's Romans chapter 7 verse 15. I don't do what I want to do and the do. Instead, I do the very thing that I hate. That's the tension that we often feel. I wish I was someone better. I want to be different than we are, but this is what I find. I find that I do the very things that I hate to do. And he goes on to explain why. These are competing powers at work if If you're in Christ, there are now competing powers at work in you. The power of his spirit and the power of the flesh. And he says this, goes on. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You felt that and you have felt like there's something terribly wrong with you. Like you're not measuring up to what God would have you be. But here's the Apostle Paul saying to us, this is the common experience of the Christian, the the tension that's going on. We look inward and we see sin there. And we put these words to our lips. He gives us words to describe the tension. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Paul's main point in the book, the letter to the Colossian church as well. It's a theme that he carries out through all. It's often lost. And it's this, only Jesus, only Jesus has the ability, the power to deal with sin. And he has to do it by his death and resurrection. The problem of sin has to be dealt with by Jesus and he deals with it in three ways he deals with the penalty of sin the power of sin and the presence of sin right this is at the cross and Paul kind of lays this out right at the cross chapter 1 verse 14 by the death of Jesus we have forgiveness of sin there's the penalty of sin wiped away he picks it again up in our passage saying that we need to forgive as God has forgiven us in Christ at the cross he deals with the penalty of sin as jesus bears our guilt dies our death and is raised to new life giving us his righteousness he deals with the penalty of sin but for most of you getting saved that's it that's all you think of that's only a third of the gospel and its power because jesus also in his death deals with the power of sin 
And this is Paul's main point to the church of Colossians. And he picks it up in chapter 2, verse 11, as in other places. He reminds them, in Christ, you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh. He's taking this vivid image of cutting and says, this is what happened. God cut away sin. So that it no longer has power. You've been buried. He changes metaphors. Buried with Christ in baptism. In which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. And again in three one, The beginning of just a few verses back. In the beginning of our chapter. You have been raised with Christ. Jesus has dealt with the power of sin. You're no longer its slave if you're in Christ. We need to think of sin, as I've been saying over the last few weeks, if you think of sin as just something we do, this aspect of the gospel will never make sense to you. But if you think of sin as an imprisoning power, a power that is at work in us, then we'll understand what Paul says in in Romans 6, 20, that we're slaves to sin, and a slave, we're, we're joyfully obedient to the master of sin until we come to faith in Christ, and then he sets us free by cutting away sin's nature. It no longer has dominion over us. There's a new domineering power that is at work in those who belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus, by his death, cuts away sin's reign in our life, raises us to new life. We sing this in so many of our hymns, O for a thousand tongues to sing, he breaks the power of of reigning sin. He sets the prisoners free. That Jesus' cross is the double cure we sing, setting us free from both sin's guilt and power. But here's where Paul now is going in Colossians chapter 3. Jesus also, by his death and resurrection, deals with the remaining presence of sin. The penalty, the power, the presence. This is what his death means to us. This is the full orb of the gospel. And Paul frames it this way. This is, look, if you belong to Jesus, you belong to a new realm. Right? We've said we want to change the metaphor of the gospel to not just a, an insurance policy that gets us into heaven one day, but it has no present value to us, to entering into a kingdom where Jesus reigns and sin doesn't reign anymore. A realm where Jesus is victorious and he's putting all things back together. A life from above. This is what Paul's saying. Don't, don't do earthly things anymore. That's, that's the broken, fallen world. Don't, don't do the way the earth does things. The world does things. Life from above, he's now telling us, is marked by a decisive power in the resurrection of Jesus that should create a decisive change in the way we live our lives. So there's life from above and life from below. Put to death, verse 3 of chapter 5, the beginning of our passage this morning. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And again, he doesn't mean just kind of of the earth and, um, you know, common things. What he means is he's kind of, there's, there's a new kingdom that's come. The old kingdom is is earthly. The new kingdom belongs to Jesus. So put to death, therefore, what's part of this old kingdom, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, covetousness, evil desire. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And then in verse 8, but you must put these things away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, 
seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. And I thought about this this week. This, this is what, these, this list is just what so easily comes out of me. This is what comes out of me naturally. I don't have to work to produce these things. These are the things that given over to myself and just set on the trajectory of my life. I am an expert in these things. This is where the natural tendency of my life goes. Anger, that one I got nailed down. Malice, wrath, these things. These are the old way. Verse 12. The way from above sounds so different. They this old way, the way from below, it takes no power. I've got the power in me to produce these things. The kind of things that are from above, the life from above, the life of God's kingdom, verse 12 and four, through 14. These are the kind of things that take great effort, resurrection power. But it's also, I would suggest, this is the kind of community that you want to be around. This is the kind of person you want to be. This is the kind of person you want to be married to. This is the kind of person that you want your children to be. This is the kind of person you want your employer to be. I mean, this is, this is beautiful. This is a mark of flourishing. If we had, had a world like this, it would look like the new heavens and new earth that we've sung about. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And here's Paul's point. There's a point he's been making through the book of Colossians. That's, if you want to know what the new heavens and new earth looks like, it's not uh, little angels playing harps. That doesn't sound very exciting. It's a community that's marked by these things. The kind of things that we long for, where we relate to each other in wholesome, flourishing ways. And here's what Paul's making the point of. This the way from above has broken in this old, broken world. This old, foreign world is now inhabited by Christ and his kingdom. And he's making new people who should be living this way. So take off the old way. And put on the new way. These things that come easy with us, we've got to resist by saying this. I belong to Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. And I want to become like Jesus. Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner. This is, our, this is what the Vieras promised when they became members today. Straight from Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and then reiterated in chapter 3 verse 17 the end of our passage whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him the the picture of life from above not only is a picture of, of human flourishing it is the way Jesus interacted with all people and interacts with us with compassionate hearts who that look at someone's suffering and, and enters into it in kindness. Kindness is different than what I call southern niceness. Southern niceness is like, we're going to be nice to you, but we really don't like you. Kindness is a genuine disposition married with gentleness oftentimes. Forgiving one another, 
This is the way from above. This is the way God has dealt with us. And here, here's where I think oftentimes we fail. If you're a student at Zion Christian Academy or you've been around me long enough, you'll hear me say my greatest fear for us as a church and a school is not the infiltration of the world, but a Christless, powerless Christianity that has no power over these type of natural tendencies that come right after us. And so many of us live defeated and hopeless because we hear these commands of Jesus, we see the wisdom of putting them into action, and we forget that we have no power in ourselves. Listen to what John Owen says. Discouragement. Again, this kind of tension. We, feel, we all feel, all genuine Christians over time and space have felt this way. This is what he says. Owen was an 18th century Welch pastor great theologian, wrote a definitive work on sin and temptation. But in that, he says this, this is the saddest warfare that any poor creature can be engaged in. This is what he describes the saddest warfare. A soul under the power of conviction from the law is pressed to fight against sin, but has no strength for the combat. They cannot but fight, and they can never conquer The law drives them on and sin beats them back. Sometimes they think indeed they have foiled sin when they only raised a dust so they can't see it. That is, they weaken their natural affections of fear, sorrow, and anguish, which makes them believe that sin is conquered. And when it is not touched, it's not even been touched, just kind of lays dormant, he's saying. By the time they are cold, they must go to battle again. And the lust which they thought to have slain appears to have no wound. You felt that, haven't you? Just momentary advances and then finding out, man, this is things just been growing all along. And so here's Owen's point and Paul's point. Here's Owen's point on Paul from Colossians chapter 1. The problem that we have, we cease to experience and see the fruit of the kingdom produced in our lives because life comes from above and we've ceased to hang on to Jesus. And when we cease to hang on to the head, Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, you've kind of tried this on your own, you cease to hang on to the head, and it's like the Christian life is like learning to water ski. You have to water ski. You've got to put in a little effort. There's effort to be lived in the Christian life. But no matter how much effort you put in to trying to water ski, if you are not connected to a source of power much greater than what you're trying to do, you're just floundering around in the water. If you're going to be connected, if you're going to water ski, you've got to be connected to a tremendous source of power that pulls you, it animates you. And so let me, let me give us five things. Five things that what Paul here is put on Christ. He's using the imagery of taking off old patterns. We're going to get back to this and putting on new patterns. Putting on Christ. First, you've got to remember if you're going to experience this kind of power that kills sin and makes us alive with the power of the way from above, 
You've got to remember what Jesus is up to. Verse 10. Having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. And you hear that language from Genesis chapter 1. What God did when he made all of creation at the pinnacle work of creation. He grabbed dust out of the ground and formed Adam in his image. And then out of Adam made Eve and said of them, man and woman, I've made in my image. They are the glorious crowning work of my creation activity. But this is what happened. Sin came into the world and it wrecked us. And so here's what he's saying. This is what God's up to. He's going to make you into a more flourishing person if you belong to Jesus Christ. John gets this amazing vision at the end of John, of the book of Revelation. He's got this amazing vision of what's going on in, in, in the world. Uh, the book of Revelation isn't primarily about what's going to happen in the future. It's primarily about what God is doing now behind the scenes. It's going to veiling, pulling back the curtain, seeing what God's up to. And this is what Jesus says. This is his mission in the world. Behold, I am making all things new. And when you can realize that this is what he's up to, that he's begun a work in me and he's going to carry it on to completion, then I want to get on board with that, right? This is what God's doing. I printed for you in page 10 of your worship guide, um, sorry, yeah, page 10 of your worship guide, the Westminster Shorter Cabin question 35, which asks this question, what is sanctification? What is the Christian life? What is the process of being made more like Jesus? And the answer is just, of course, you could tattoo this on, you could tattoo this on your skin if you wanted to, but you might just want to take the easier route putting it in a post-it note. It is worth being permanent. You just might not want this. Sanctification is a work of God's grace. This is what God's up to. He's making us more like Jesus. He's making us more into the image of the creator. He's kind of taking this old broken thing. And this is what he do. The whole man is renewed after the image of God. And we're enabled by his spirit. We're enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. It's not enough just simply to stop sinning. That's not what God is up to. He's not just with you just kind of stop sinning. He wants you to be like Jesus. And this is the work that he's up to. You're like, I want to get on board with that. Because God always wins, and Jesus is making all things new. This isn't primarily on my shoulders. This is on Jesus' shoulders. And I want to get on board with what he's doing. Secondly, keep that in mind. Just keep that in mind. Just this is where we're going. He's making me more like his son. This is his work. Secondly, we have to grab hold of our new identity. I mean, lay hold of it like it is everything for us. If the goal of the Christian life is to be more like Jesus, it is to be more like Jesus because we're united to Jesus. And so the Christian life is just simply put, just become who you already are. Become who you are. And and this language of taking off and putting on is, is helpful language. Paul borrowing from the language of of the the wardrobe, of your closet. It's helpful language because it gives us a mental activity of what it's like to live the Christian life, the work that it involves. Imagine a person joining forces with ISIS to take down the White House. 
And he gets caught, put in prison. Plots, say, but he's guilty. He's guilty of the, the most treacherous treason we could imagine. Thrown into prison. Right to be there. And then imagine a wealthy benefactor coming along. Maybe the president even talking the president to forgiving his sentence. And then says, we're going to give you keys to the White House. We're going to let you run its halls, and we're going to give you all of the privileges that it entails. I mean, that rubs us wrong, doesn't it? But that's the gospel. That is what God has done. He's given us, no longer are you an enslaved rebel in prison to sin, but he's set you free, forgiven you, and made you a son in his household to latch onto that identity. But imagine that going on and that person running through the White House as in his prison garment. You'd want to stop him and say, no, 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 there has been provided for you a new tailored robes for you to wear, a brand new suit of the highest quality. Take those off, put these on. This is now who you are. And this is a Christian work. Remember your identity. And this is where Paul takes us in verse 12. He says, don't. So he's gone through five and seven. He's like, go, stop doing these things. It's not who you are. Put these things to death. Take them off, verse 12. Before he tells them who they are to be and what they are to do, he reminds them of who they are. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. It's Paul saying, grabbing them and say, look, don't remember who you are. You're loved by God. The strife that he describes in 5 through 11, that strife is mostly us trying to get things from people. I'm angry because you didn't give me what I wanted. I want to seek revenge so that I can reestablish myself in malice, in my my sense of worth in this world, my love tank's empty. I gotta get, I gotta get, I gotta get. Holy and beloved in Christ, all the love the Father has for the Son is now yours. You are in his household, cherished by him. Your love tank is full. And so above all these, put on love, verse 14, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The new way, the way from above, is putting things back together to bring peace and thriving in the other person because that's exactly what God has done for us. Remember that identity. Third, remember that the way from above must be fed from above. And actually, we might not do all five. We'll do at least this next one. We'll see where we go from there. Remember that the way from above must be fed from above. This is really hard stuff, isn't it? I mean, this is a really high calling. These kind of interactions don't come naturally to any of us. You know, there's not a single person in this room, there's not a single person in Christ's kingdom that these things come naturally to. You might be nice, kindness is different. You might be willing to overlook something, but forgiveness is different. It acknowledges that a wrong has happened and you're taking the burden onto yourself. This way from above is, is, is radical and deep and hard. It has to be created in us by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, Paul's reminding them, works through the most ordinary means to accomplish the most 
extraordinary results. The activity of putting sin away and putting Christ on means that it has to be fed from Christ. Look verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Now, he does something really interesting here. He says one thing, two things, teaching and admonishing and singing. So the word of Christ is going to dwell richly in you. There's the command, be fed from above by Christ. He'll produce this stuff in you to make you more like him by his word. This is just an ordinary means. We're going to do it in these two ways, and both are really important. That sense of let kind of gets lost in our English translation. It is an imperative, a command, maybe translated even better. Make the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Don't give up until it's dwelling richly in you. Do this hard work. And here's what it takes. Because I think when we hear that, we think, I need to have more and better quiet times. And you do, and I do. But that's not where he goes. The command to make the word of Christ dwell richly in you is followed by these two things. Teaching and admonishing one another. Right? Sometimes this is what needs to happen. is We need to believe the gospel for each other. Because I'm going through a really hard time. I'm really struggling with my flesh. I need you to bring God's. I just can't believe that this, these things are true. But I need you to bring it in. And sometimes I get caught in sin. I need you to admonish me. It requires us entering into each. The word of Christ will never dwell richly in our hearts. Until we're bringing it richly on each other's ears. This is not a me and Jesus. This is us together walking this, bringing his word, speaking his promises. I need, I need you. Like there's been so many times that you, I have like been at the end of my rope and you have reminded me of God's promises when I just couldn't get myself there. And then secondly, singing. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He repeats this in a book of Ephesians, the same pattern. We've said this before, that, that worship for the Christian is expressive. We're worshiping God, but it's also formative. He's changing us. And I've, you've heard me say before, I think I have the best seat in the house because there are a lot of Sundays when I just get here and I'm, I found myself really struggling. And then I hear you sing. And what happens is what goes from being theoretical and by faith goes from being real and by faith because you've embodied it. I've heard you sing. And the word of God then dwells richly in me. I can't tell you how many times I've been really struggling in prayer and, and words to songs are brought up by the Spirit and help me. I can't tell you how many times I've really been frustrated or angry and and, and words of hymns come to my heart and change me. The word from above feeds the life from above. Lastly, we're going to do four, not five. Lastly, because this is too good. Lastly, because it's really important, be thankful. Three times. This really struck me over the weekend. Three times in these last three verses, Paul brings in thankfulness. 
the end of verse 15, be thankful. The end of verse 16, sing with thankfulness. Verse 17, whatever you do, do it with thankfulness. Seems to be this key thing in my life that seems to be absent and most of the time leads to me being cut off from Jesus, not experiencing his power in my life. And I, David Brooks wrote this article on his kind of experience with gratitude. The New York Times, he penned this article, kind of, and he says this, he says, he says, this is what happens. Sometimes I'm grumpier when I stay at a nice hotel. I have certain expectation that service is going to be provided as to a certain caliber. And so I grow impatient if I have to crawl around looking for a power outlet or if the shower controls don't work just right or if the place considers itself too fancy for a coffee machine. It's, I'm sometimes happier at a budget motel where my expectations are lower and where functioning iron is a bonus and the waffle maker in the breakfast area is a treat. This little phenomenon shows how powerfully expectations structure our moods and emotions. None more so than the beautiful emotion of gratitude. Gratitude happens when some kindness exceeds expectations and when it is undeserved. You see, it's easy to be, it's so easy to be thankful if your starting place is. There is no good in me. I only deserve your wrath. If you were to treat me as I deserved, I would have nothing in this life but God has united me to his son. And out of gratitude for the gospel, to his grace shown to me as the worst of sinners, I want to live a life pleasing. There's power in that. Let's pray. God, I would ask that you would encourage us where we've entered in defeated today, that you would strengthen us where we are weakest, that you would convict us where we are hard-hearted and following the way from below. Maybe some for the first time seeing their need for Christ, would they believe on the gospel and, and be saved into this glorious new kingdom. But together, God, what we would ask is, is make us more and more into a community that puts on Christ and speaks his word, singing his songs to the praise of his glorious grace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.